It's 8 p.m. Sunday evening, and you've sat down to relax. Then you see your phone light up, and sure enough, it's a work call. You have an important decision to make. Do you answer, or do you let it go to voicemail? For some of us who have some degree of on-call work, this isn't anything new. But with the pandemic came a whole new challenge for many of us. When do we turn off our work? Let's explore some stories of how the pandemic has shaped work in 2021 and beyond. Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply and get a little bit of sanity back in your day. It's not news now that the pandemic has drastically shifted the work-life paradigm and thousands of publications have explored ad nauseum the effects of the pandemic. At the time of publication, this podcast is still living in the pandemic reality. So there's limited empirical evidence to suggest the reality of any work-life shifts outside of anecdotal evidence. But some researchers have attempted to synthesize data to prove what many of us have hypothesized. The pandemic has blurred the lines between work and home life, and ultimately, this has negatively impacted many organizations not adapting quick enough to this new normal for its employees. Brian and I have shared our experiences for the last several months, and I think on the whole, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly with working from home as a result of the pandemic. This podcast, in part, stemmed from our desire to connect and discuss topics outside of our work life and more about our work and life. Research has become an integral part of our conversation here, and I think it shows when our conversations aren't as structured around any real research. What I mean is, when Brian and I are shooting the breeze, there's a different tonality to our voice, a different emphasis in our conversation. And I think the same is true for any research around how the pandemic has shifted this work-life balance. That is until now. And before I introduce exactly what I'm referring to, I think I should say a formal hello to my co-host, as always, Brian. How you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm actually a little bit depressed these days. Or if you don't want to have a really long intro topic of me complaining, I'm doing great. But uh, up to you. I think by now, if anybody has listened to us uh, for more than just an episode or two, they're invested. So come on, lay it on me. I want to hear yeah, and maybe it, it maybe it does tie into today's episode as well. I had uh, a couple what I would call close coworkers very recently put in their two weeks notice, and it's strange because there are people I formed relationships with before the pandemic hit and before work from home hit, and it's strange enough to not necessarily see them or talk to them as much as I used to. But now they're going to be leaving, and there's this weird sense of only halfway closure because. As they head out, I'm not going to see them before they go. So last time I saw them in the office was the last time I saw them. And it's it's kind of a, a somber moment for me. It almost feels like that last day of like senior year of high school almost. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's it's a turning point. And I know we're all, you know, this is a, a big moving and shaking time of the year for uh, for people looking for new jobs. So it's it's come to be expected. But it's yeah, it's still weird. It's very weird, and I think some folks are leaving because they haven't seen really a shift in their work-life balance since remote work, right? We see folks who are just kind of stuck in this perpetual loop of 
work, rinse, repeat, work, rinse, repeat, right? Yeah, and it's the the problem is nobody really gave us much of a playbook for working from home or shifting our hours, even though we all were immediately thrust into that. And John, it sounds like that's really what we're going to be talking about today is the ramifications of that and how to address it. Yeah, and I think we're going to frame it with a little bit of a story too. So I love story time. Let's embark on this journey together. So a quick point on today's topic of discussion. Uh, In an unusual twist, uh, this conversation might be a little bit limited to the European Union today, Brian. I feel like a lot of times we talk about positive movements for workers. A lot of it does revolve around the EU rather than the U.S., which is a little bit sad for us. Right. So uh, what I mean when I say that is the study I'm going to reference for the first couple bits here is actually attempting to prove that providing employees flexibility and mental and emotional support, and if you're not impeding on what employees have designated as their free time, whenever they really choose to take advantage of said free time now, uh, they've seen increased productivity, efficiency, and overall employee well-being. In short, the study aims to prove that companies are willing to adapt to a new normal. They'll see better employees and their employees will kind of be stepping out on top of this post-pandemic life as new champions of work. Wow. Who'd have thunk it? Treat employees well and they're going to respond accordingly. Novel concept, right? Right. You're you're absolutely right. So what a novel idea. To get into the fun bit here, there was a group that sent out surveys and using survey responses because, you know, the pandemic and having focus groups and test groups of strangers – in person is still a little faux pas. A Latvian study uh, collected survey responses from several different socioeconomic groups from across multiple countries across the EU to collect data on employees' work-life balance and priorities. Yes, we will be discussing a study based out of Latvia today. So this is certainly a first for the pod, right, Brian? Yeah, here they have a great basketball team. Yeah, so we're gonna maybe we'll learn a little bit about that. Maybe that's part because they have the uh, freedom to actually play basketball outside of just dreaming about it here in the U.S. But this is certainly a first for the pod. And before I catch any flack, I'm aware that this study may be a little self-serving and can likely have different results if conducted in a separate country, continent, solar system, whatever. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We're a small operation with limited time here. Enjoy the ride and consider this a thought exercise more than anything else. I'm not out of here to prove a hypothesis on any academic level. We're a small indie podcast consisting of two, sometimes three dummies pontificating for a half hour each week because our wives got tired of listening to us day in and day out. If I was going to put a fine point on that, it's we're not trying to actually prove out any scientific theories here. If we're bringing up a study like this, yeah, we recognize that it might be very small in scope, but we're doing it as food for thought, right? So I think it has value in that regard anyway, right? Exactly. And that's what that's what I mean. It's a thought exercise. So just consider it a little bit of mental aerobics for you. But back to the topic on hand. As with research and scientific methods, sometimes our hypotheses are proven wrong or we find an unexpected answer. In a bit of a plot twist, um, the study actually came to the conclusion that 
While remote work offers employees flexibilities and the ability to dictate, schedule, and coordinate their leisure time, it can also blur the lines between home and life. Because when we work remote, we often blend and blur the distinctions about when we turn off work. Do I have an excuse to not answer an email at 530? I'm no longer commuting home and leaving my laptop or desktop at the office, so there's an expectation that I will be, in essence, on call at all hours of a normal day. I'll say between like 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. or 8 hours and 20 hours since we're in Latvia today, right? So, Brian, I don't think that's a surprise to you, right? That doesn't sound like a shocker. Not at all. No, it's it's a it's a it's a sticky subject and I'm excited to dig into it. Well, there's one specific section I'd like to read to you right now uh, because I think it's very interesting and I haven't considered this angle, but to quote Remote working during COVID-19 pandemic was more complicated than remote working under normal circumstances, as it was compulsory rather than voluntary, often full-time rather than part-time or casual. Brian, so let me ask you this. Because it was mandatory, what do you think that that, how do you think that flavored or really influenced how our remote work really kind of was? You know what I mean? That's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about that before this. I know a lot of people, including some of my coworkers, had a work-from-home arrangement by choice or, I guess, by negotiations during their hiring process. And maybe they approached this from a different direction than the rest of us. Yeah, the compulsory nature of this does make it a little bit different in maybe context, maybe feeling. Yeah, and you know who I think of right away when I hear compulsory work-from-home? Who's that? I think of Andy. He's struggling right now with this, and he freaking hates it, man. Like, this is this is brutal for him. So there's that angle, too. There's people who don't want to be working from home, but they have to. So, And I think that's where we're seeing that blurred lines, because those people who don't want to be working from home, rather be in the office, are just some of them are workhorses and are just working nonstop now because they're bored at home, and what else is there to do? The reason I bring this up and the reason I bring the whole study up is because I want to frame a story, a true story that happened to me several years before the pandemic. And after the break, I want us to take another stroll down memory lane with me. And I'm going to share with you all the first time I ever had an urgent work call after hours. And let's see how I handled it and how that scenario might be a little bit different now. To set the stage, let's go back to a simpler time, a time before remote work was ever at any point in time mandatory. The scenario I described at the top of the show was taken from a specific memory of mine. It was around 8 p.m. on a Sunday, and I was watching football. The Eagles were playing a late afternoon game, so we were into the second half at this point, and I see my phone light up, and I see it's an email from Mark. Whatever. I don't have to respond. It's Sunday, and at this point in my career, I wasn't really in a position where work usually came home with me. I brought my laptop home on weekends out of safety protocol, not necessity of work. A few more minutes go by, and I see my phone light up again. Another email. Then another. 
before too long, I'm afraid to look at my phone because something doesn't feel right. I know the proverbial S is about to hit the fan, and it was only a matter of time before my phone rings. I see it's an out-of-state number, and I already know what it's about. Some of my responsibilities in the role at this time included coordinating client and sales visits. So we had one scheduled the next two days, I think it was, and this was a pretty big deal, so we wanted to land it, and I was on the front line coordinating the logistics of the visit. While handling my day-to-day responsibilities, I had to do this plus one task. So nothing I hadn't done before, but this was the first time working with this particular sales group. And I was told this was the top team. They were top-notch and had coordinated visits with large projects and prospects in the past. And I was told this team knew their stuff and I just needed to kind of add a little bit of support where needed. Brian, when you hear things like that, are you like me and you're very skeptical of groups or teams uh, who are supposed to be like the top tier? Uh, I've been bit in the ass one too many times to where, frankly, I don't believe things like that anymore. It's like the tooth fairy to me. Yeah, it, there, there's a lot of pomp, circumstance, uh, office politics, and exceptions to rules that that go on behind the scenes that I I always take any of that with a grain of salt but let's take a step back too and say I think we've all been there when we've gotten that email or call on a Saturday or Sunday and that just ruins the entire weekend mood and I I just don't like it and that's that's exactly it. it it ruined my Sunday uh, I when I described that dread that I felt when I saw the phone just keep lighting up I, I still can feel it. It's a visceral reaction that I'm, I'm I'm starting to feel physically right now in myself. The first thing I think when that happens is where exactly are you placing the value of my time? Because clearly you're you're putting it a little bit below your own, right? If this is something that is so important that you can't handle on your own, that you're reaching out to me, it's like, does, does my weekend not matter? It's it it it's not a good feeling. It doesn't it doesn't feel respectful minimally and i know that sometimes things can't wait sometimes there are emergencies that come up but i feel like nine out of ten times that we get these late requests it probably could wait until the following day and if if this specific story of yours is not that that's that's fine but yeah generally the i I feel a little bit less respected every time somebody reaches out to me after hours well i think that's a, a nice little segue into the next part of the story because I felt like a little piece of (laughs) nothing the way that this story went. So I'm glad you bring that up because my role at this point was very much uh, still pretty entry level. Um, There was plenty of potential for growth and opportunities for visibility, um, but that's certainly a double-edged sword when things go wrong. And it seems like things were going wrong. So years have passed, and I'm sure my memory is a little fuzzy at this point. Uh, surrounding all of the details, but I remember a whole fiasco with one of our executive level leaders getting involved. And at certain points in the conversation and threads, it looked like I was unprepared or very lax with my planning. I'm, I'm still getting flush thinking about it, but like most things, it was a group effort in our shortcomings, meaning there was plenty of blame to pass around and no one person ruined the visit that Wednesday Everyone was in high spirits, but it still didn't feel great. And to your point, Brian, I I felt like my time wasn't as valued because I feel like most of this probably could have been avoided with maybe an email or two 
before Sunday. Maybe these people should have checked in before Sunday when the client was coming in on that Monday afternoon. Not to be cliche, but a lack of preparation on your end doesn't make an emergency on mine kind of fits, right? Kind of comes into play here. And that's where I guess the point I was making earlier about that executive level uh, member who was kind of calling me out. It wasn't really a lack of planning on my end. I felt like I was a little misled that they had their stuff together more than I than they really did because I I felt like I looked like thumb up my ass at the end of it. Yeah, can can I talk myself up? Can I sing my own virtues for a second? Is that not what this pod is for? So I do every 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 episode. I do this. No, I I like to think I have my flaws. I have my insecurities. I like to think that one thing I do well, do the right way is if I make a mistake or if something is genuinely my fault, I will fall on that sword. If I'm working with a team of people, even if it's not something I did, if somebody that reports to me made a mistake, when I'm meeting with higher ups about that mistake, I own that. I wear that because that person was reporting to me. I'm not going to pass that buck. And I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, to sound overly virtuous here, but if I'm doing anything at all, it's I'm lamenting the fact that there's not enough culpability in teams anymore, right? And I don't mean to, I don't mean to soapbox this, and I, I promise I'll shut up and we can get back to your story in a second. But if you pride yourself on being an executive, if you pride yourself on being a leader, part of being a leader is owning up and owning those challenges and owning failures when they happen. You know, it's not just taking the good and and shuffling off the bad to the lowest level person you can find. Well, as somebody who has tried to pass off blame or kind of pass the buck before, it only comes back to bite you in the ass at the end. So it's not even worth it to try to pass blame if if the sword is yours to fall on. So if there's any bit of advice to take from that little bit there is just own up when it's your mistake and you will ultimately earn more respect with everyone involved. I do still blame you, though. You're you're my perfect scapegoat because you don't work for the company anymore. Like, oh, that was John Sepsi. Remember that guy? Uh, yeah, three months ago he said he was going to do that. Never did it. Yeah, yeah, well, it's a shame. It's because I've been gone for, for several months now. And if you guys are just noticing it, what does that say about the rest of the project planning? <laughs> right? <laughs> but I guess back to story time. Um, I think it was another year or so later that they landed the client. So... Uh, they we ended up you know securing the deal, but by that point I was on to a new role and a completely new team. Um, it was actually my role in those sales visits and things like that that landed me a role on my new team, and my career path has been drastically altered ever since. I'm well removed from sales pitches now, most of the time, and I don't have that added stress of planning visits, pitches, meetings, anything like that. So. I'm glad how things turned out. So in a, in a weird, you know, twist of fate, it was because of all of that added stress. I landed on the other side of, you know, that type of work and I'm much happier now. That anecdote, that story I just shared, it sounds a little different in 2021 than it did in 2016. Going back to our home base for today's episode, Latvia, Eastern Europe, the European union, uh, most people have seen a shift uh, to this being more of the rule than the exception. People are getting calls late. People are having to do work after hours. Hell, the term after hours doesn't even make sense anymore because everybody's working. 
And it's across many different industries, ones that you kind of wouldn't really expect. Um, I don't really have specifics, but I just know that there's people who will tell you that I know I signed up for one thing, but I got something else. When I signed up for those sales calls, I knew what I was signing up for. But many people before, during, and after, and somewhat after, I guess I should say, because we're still here, after the pandemic, didn't sign up for around-the-clock work. Remote work giveth, remote work taketh away. So back to that ironic twist we saw from the results of the study. While granting us the freedom to choose our leisure time, we basically have to schedule it, lest we've run the risk of somebody pinging us for a quick chat. A quick huddle. Let's let's get a let's get a quick huddle going on. After hours on a Saturday. Thanks for night. <laughs> No, but I, I think the issue I have among many, I have a lot of issues. That's this is just me griping about things. The issue for me when what we're talking about with these after hours and what the heck is an after hours hour anymore, a lot of people are treating it like a sliding scale almost where you know, hey, I have this issue. It's five o'clock. It's a minor issue. I don't have a problem reaching out. Now, if it's seven o'clock and it's a minor issue, I'm not going to bother. But if it's a major issue and it's seven o'clock, okay, now it makes it okay. So we're all doing this mental calculus where we say, how far into the evening is it versus how severe is the task? And the danger is that, logically, that almost starts to make sense. But when you take a step back and look at the forest for the trees, that should never be a sliding scale. It's a Boolean yes or no. Is it after hours or not? Well, let me ask you this. If you see that their little icon is green and they're available, does that influence your decision at all? (sighs) Yes and no. I'm going to say yes in the sense that if I know they're working, and if they have availability for me, I, I might want to reach out. But on the other hand, also no, right? Because if they're working late, A, are they doing something else that's critical and I shouldn't be bothering them? But even more to the point, B, me reaching out, even if they're there, just perpetuates that it makes sense that they're there and available. So reaching out for anything is only doing more to reinforce that I expect this person to be available to me when I have no right to that request. It really shouldn't matter, right? <laughs> if we're taking a right. moral stance, you really it, whether they're green, yellow, red, whatever, it shouldn't matter. You shouldn't be asking them to do something after hours if you're taking that moral stance too. Right. The work's always going to be there. You're never you're not done until you retire or die. So every day there's going to be more work to do. Why don't I not take up your evenings? Right. We're all still going to be here tomorrow regardless. Unless you're actually saving lives. Most of us aren't saving lives with the work we're doing. So I can't say that it's life or death for most of us. I push papers, you know, I, I, it's, I, I can say my job has, has meaning and value and purpose and, and helps things in the grand scheme. But at the end of the day, I'm pushing papers. I'm not saving the world. World doesn't stop turning because one fewer paper gets pushed on my end. My job is sending emails, asking for status updates. There you go. That's all I do. <laughs> but I guess to kind of close this out, um, in a conflicted, maybe jilted, contradictory bit of advice or wisdom, I guess be prepared for the scenes like the one I described because you never know where it will land you, but also be prepared to decipher what is and what is not an emergency. 
Brian, to your point, that sliding scale. Sure, emergencies will pop up, but if it's not an emergency, whether I'm on the couch watching football, cooking dinner, or running hours, if it's after hours, do you really need to be reaching out to me? And do I really need to be reaching out to you? The problem here isn't necessarily the very obvious uses of our time. You know, if we're talking about somebody reaching out to us around 10 o'clock at night for a very trivial need that can definitely wait till the next workday, yeah, it's very clear that we should be telling that person to go pound sand. But it's the thousand little things that we don't necessarily think about. So what's on my mind is, hey, it's 5.15 or it's 5.30 in the middle of the week. I don't have anything going on tonight on a Wednesday night. And I know this request is only going to take a couple minutes. Why not do it? Well, the problem with that is every time we do that, every time we extend ourselves a little bit further, it's setting up the expectations that we're okay with that and willing to do it. And then that next request is a little bit later, a little bit bigger, to the point where eventually if we keep demonstrating that we're the kind of person who doesn't regard our own work-life balance, who doesn't set these limits on what is and isn't after hours, we're going to start getting really big requests late into the night or all throughout the weekend because we've set up the expectation that the people in our company can count on us to do those things. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't want to be dependable and we, we shouldn't want to help those that work with us who we know would help us too. But at the same time, we need to have this this line in the sand because if you don't establish that line, it's always going to be a moving target and it's not going to move in a direction that's good for us, right? I mean, it's I like I always say, number one broken record for me on this show is we need to all be our own advocates, right? And the best way to advocate for a work-life balance, for respect for our time is to set these boundaries, even for things that seem insignificant. Brian, to your point, if if I'm green, you're gonna ping me. Whether whether you know you you have this moral stance or not, if it's something that it's either your ass or mine, you're gonna ping me if you really need it, right? So if I'm green and I set the standard that I'm working at this time, I've I basically have already set the precedent, and there's nothing that's gonna stop people in the future from doing it, even if I'm not green in the future. Yeah, and that's, that's the word I was hunting for. You're, you're setting a precedent, and it, it's uh, a potentially dangerous thing to do. Yep. And as, as we've seen with legal precedents, no, <laughs> not a legal pod. So, yeah, no thanks. Yeah, no, but to, to put my work hat on, you know, Brian, Brian <laughs> daytime hours, not after hours work hat on, uh, a lot of what I do work on day in and day out is contracts, uh, scopes of work, master service agreements, and... That is a very real thing. You know, you'll have a relationship with another client, prospect, uh, company, what have you. It directly translates here. If there's something that goes against the terms of service, but that person habitually does it and gets away with it, do you really think they're going to care about what's written in that document a year from now? No, because no matter what's written in your uh, employment contract, if you have one, or what's in your role description, whatever that may be, that's not a living document. What you do every day is the the living element of your role. So yeah, it's not, not a legal pod, but there is an element of, of legality that comes into play here. So let's put a nice bow on this story. You had this thing happen a while back, maybe a little bit traumatic, Maybe 
you know, maybe that's a little bit uh, overboard to say that. But in any event, you learn from it. So let me throw this at you. Same thing happens tomorrow, right? Because you did very recently start at your current company. That request comes in tonight or tomorrow night, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock for, let's just call it 15, 20 minutes worth of work. What are you doing? What are you saying? Well, I, I want to tell you the truth, and then I'll tell you what I would recommend. <laughs> so to be honest with you, odds are likely if it's coming in after 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'm probably not even awake. So I'm not going to get to it just because uh, <laughs> nature has dictated it's not my time to work. But This in guy's terms- in a band, ladies and gentlemen, and he's talking about going to bed. This is what happens. Going to bed man. early. <laughs> That's why we. That's why Remember we that play punk rock lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's years of it have caught up with me. But I would say my recommendation would be to your point, Brian. And I don't know if this is good advice, but consider actually how much of an emergency it is versus a fire drill. And if it's something that you absolutely know can wait until tomorrow, close your phone, close your laptop, and answer it tomorrow. Nobody can. Nobody really has any right to be upset with you for not responding to an email that was sent at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. I, I think it's just learn to settle your own anxiety and know that you don't have to answer that email or you don't have to respond to that phone call. In the story I shared earlier, yeah, it probably worked in my benefit that I did do that. But again, it was a sliding scale and I knew that that was something that I needed to address right then and there and there were things that I could address right then and there but if there's nothing you can't do until tomorrow you know shrug shrug emoji throw your hands up and say not my problem I want to take a slightly more aggressive stance towards it as advice that you should take with a grain of salt and and certainly depends on your relationship with those that you work with but and again I'll, I'll put my Brian work hat on a lot of what I do is negotiating whether that's negotiating with prospects that we're trying to work with or with suppliers that my clients work with I do a lot of negotiating and the biggest thing for me and this isn't just work this is any negotiations in life that you're going through personal professional otherwise you can't be afraid of the word no in fact, you should be seeking out the word no when you're negotiating with anybody for anything. It's no establishes boundaries, and that's the value of it. But people are afraid of the word no. People are, are scared to deal with the consequences to the point where they don't even try. So for me, I would want to test the waters by actually physically saying no, proactively saying no, rather than just maybe not answering that email, letting it slide and saying, oh, I didn't get it. I was sleeping or doing whatever. I would respond to it saying, hey, I'll attend to this in the morning. And the reason is we we don't want to just passively let that slide because that's not going to stop the request from coming in. The only thing it could potentially do is damage a relationship. But if I can practice that negotiation, negotiating for my own time, negotiating my role to say, no, I can't do this at this time. Maybe there's a valid reason. Maybe it is an emergency and I do need to attend to it for the sake of the project or what have you, but that's part of the negotiation. At least start it by setting that specific boundary proactively is is the suggestion that I would have. I think that I've seen that in some type of guide to negotiation book, but 
seek opportunities to say no is a good bit of advice. So if there's anything practical that you can take away from today's episode, it's that. Say no more often, I guess. Well, Brian, thanks thanks for taking the stroll down memory lane with me and letting me relive that uh, just anxiety-riddled moment in my life. <laughs> no problem. Do you, do you still have uh, uh, sweaty nightmares over that, waking up in the middle of the, middle of the night? I'm sweating right now, but uh, probably just because <laughs> that's that's just who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Sweaty and tired at 9 o'clock at night. Hey, I wake up night sweats every single night. <laughs> it sounds awful. I'm, I want to be very clear, and I know I always say I'm kidding more than I should. I am kidding in that scenario. <laughs> there is a... I don't want to... Thanks again for listening. If you have a story about a late night work call, we'd love to hear about it. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe and be sure to leave a comment wherever you get your podcast.